You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Here in the house of God today, for those that don't know me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the church staff here, one of the assistant pastors, and uh, I've been on staff now for the last five years, and before that, CLM has been church for me for a long time. I've been here since I was a teenager. I got invited to the youth group by a friend. And I say this to say that it has been absolutely incredible to see the journey of this house, to see the faithfulness of God's people last Sunday was emotional for me afresh because I see and can perceive that God is on with someone incredible in the earth and on the earth through his people right here in Coventry. Does anyone believe that? I truly believe it, and not just because lots of money was given, but because there was faith in the house to believe that God is on with something, something stirred of generosity for God's people, and when God sees that, he comes and he blesses it. He's speaking a vision of maturity and multiplication. I am so excited to see what is going to be outworked in the coming year. Anyone else excited? Anyone else a little bit daunted? Yeah, okay, just me, that's fine. Wonderful. I'm going to dive right in today because actually I'm going to be preaching from a whole book of the Bible. Everyone say, ooh. Well, one of the scholars I love, C.J. Mahaney, he describes it as a divine postcard. So it's not a huge book, but we're going to go there anyway. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. Many of us, maybe we've never even turned there. So just turn to Revelation. If you've got a hard copy Bible and just flip it back. If you've got your phone with you, just scroll up hard, and you'll end up at Jude. Wonderful. I love this book. There was lots in it for a long time that I didn't understand, and you'll see what I mean as we dive into it. But actually, there's something in the first verses that has shaped, that I've hidden in my heart, that has shaped my identity. And in the last couple of weeks, as I've just prayed and prepared into this message, I believe the Lord really wants to speak to us from the book of Jude today. And so um, I'm going to read for us. Um, I'm going to give us some context to the book of Jude, help us understand it a little bit more. And then we're going to focus on some specific verses that will hopefully help us right now where we are. Jude, I believe, who this book written 2,000 years ago, who wants to speak to us. He has a word for us today. Does anyone else believe that? Through God, he wants to speak to us right now. So we're going to read <clears throat> the book of Jude. Okay. Everyone with me? I think it's going to come on the screen as well, maybe, if you haven't got a device. Look at that. Wonderful. It says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for, Christ, for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, 
These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even with the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do not understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ were told. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, everyone say, but you. Turn to your neighbor and say, but you, dear friends. You don't have to follow me on that one. <laughs> Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. No, I'm reading the wrong bit. I've read that. That was because I made a bad joke. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now what about this for a close? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And the church said, amen. 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 Well done for staying with me. Give yourselves a round of applause. I said it for yourselves, but I pretended it was for me because I read a lot. Wow. There's lots in there, and this, this letter can be challenging. This letter is challenging. There are some really difficult themes in here, and I just want to give us some context firstly. You see, Jude, he's actually the son of Mary and Joseph. This makes him the brother of Jesus, and he's writing this, and, and he's an early church leader, and we see from the letter that he is writing to a church group that he knows well. Maybe this was to a couple of groups, but he's writing specifically to a church, knowing 
this situation. And we see from the context that Judah's been wanting to write his letter to his dear friends, his brothers and sisters in the faith for some time. But circumstances have arisen that mean he now has to put pen to paper with greater urgency than he intended. We see his intention and we see this really clearly in verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What's causing this urgency within Jude? Why is he now putting pen to paper? Why has he sent this divine postcard to these brothers and sisters in the faith? Why? Because they were in danger. The church was in danger. The people of God were in danger, not from physical persecution in this moment, in this context, not that Jude allows us to see that, but their trust in Jesus and their lordship and his lordship over their lives was at stake. We see that there was teachers, false teachers among their midst. And the main purpose of Jude's letter, this small book we find in the New Testament, is to urge the believers to contend for the faith. This word contend in the Greek, it means to grapple or it means to fight. It doesn't mean to be contentious. It means that there is a fight on our hands that we must fight to continue to trust in Jesus. How many of us, without you telling us, know that that's true? That we live in a world where there are so many voices that would tell us to do otherwise, to do anything but put our trust in Jesus. And Jude is saying, I've written to you with some urgency because I'm urging you to contend, to fight for your faith. It's written by Christians who are surrounded in that space by people who are trying to destroy their faith with lies about God and lies about themselves. And the question is, when we are faced with similar pressures today, as followers of Jesus Christ, to to alter basic Christian doctrine, to alter the lordship of Jesus Christ, to change how we might view ourselves that is contrary to Scripture, how do we respond? How do we obey the command of Jude or the exhortation of Jude to fight for the faith? What does that look like? We might conjure up some of our own pictures or ideas, but Jude, he gives us the answer eventually. And what I want us to see today is that Jude makes very clear that a biblical way, that his view of a way to fight for the faith, to fight for your trust in Jesus, to live in a world that is calling you to depart from your faith in Jesus is to live loved, to live loved. And if you're making notes today, that is my title. Simply this, live, living loved, a biblical way to fight for your faith. A biblical way to fight for your faith. Now we're going to dive into that in a moment. But firstly, I want us to touch on some things quickly. Firstly, to emphasize this, we've run through in the main body of text, Jude uses a lot of historical examples to talk about the condemnation that awaits these people that are trying to draw the people of God away from the true faith. He uses lots of examples. Some of them we might know and understand, and some of them we probably don't. He's trying to reinforce his point of God's judgment and a pattern of what's happening. Jude quotes some things here about Enoch and the archangel Michael that sound scriptural because we've maybe heard of those in church contexts, but we know they're not. 
And scholars have different considerations for this. But the one I see as most probable, even as I've just been studying this and getting to grips with this, is that Jude was like Paul was doing in Acts, dipping into sources that he didn't believe were necessarily inspired, but were popular in the circles of the people that he was engaging. Does that make sense? So I don't know, for us it might be, if we were writing this today, or Jude was writing this today, and we're in a youth setting, he might quote a TikToker. Or maybe some of you. Anyone with TikTok here? No one confessing to having TikTok. Wow. But he's doing this, and he uses it in a Christian way, and turned it back to reinforce his point. And in addressing false teachers, ones that were teaching falsely, I think this is quite highly likely. So we're not going to go more. There's lots more to say into that. If you're interested, and I think it's important, if you struggle with this, just to take some time to consider this and dig a little bit deeper. It's it's really, really powerful process as we dig deeper into God's word. But that's just all to say on that for now. I want us to consider some of the principles that Jude talks about when he considers these ungodly people. He often refers to them, these people who are drawing you away from the faith. The reason that you need to contend is because these people are in your midst. Now, we might not understand all of the references that he makes, but I want us to see the principles that lie behind them. Because number one, it's a reminder for us. Number two, it's a warning for us to not live in such a way. Number three, it's an exhortation to live differently. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to look at some of these. They're going to come up on the screen behind me. So firstly, I think the root of this is two things in verse 4. We see firstly, there is a perversion of grace and there is a denial of Jesus Christ. A perversion of grace and a denial of Jesus Christ. God's word says, and thank God for this, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Can anyone say amen to that? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ so that we might not boast in our own works. That means that it's all about Jesus and not about us. I thank God for that. I thank God that when I come before the Lord and have to give an account for my life, and he says, why should I let you into my eternal rest? I will point to my Savior Jesus. But what is happening here is that there is a denial by some people that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. What that means is that they're denying that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that he's the only way to God. This means that they are putting emphasis maybe on the works here. Jude doesn't detail some of that. But what we do see is that it talks about a perversion of grace. What does this mean? It means that they, the people around them were saying, well, if you're saved by grace, if you're saved by grace, it's fine. Do whatever you want. It's not about what you've done or about what you do. So just do and live whatever you want. If that is a truth in your mind, let me tell you that that is wrong. It's not biblical. See, the grace of God, Titus 2 tells us, the same grace that has saved us is the same grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace does not give us a license to sin. Grace points us to Jesus, and in view of his grace and his mercy, our response is lives of worship that live in obedience to him. 
And so these people are trying to peddle this false gospel. This is completely contradictory with what real grace looks like. His grace changes us to look more like him. So there's a perversion of grace, a denial of Jesus Christ. What are some of the consequences of this or outworkings? Well, there's unbelief. Unbelief begins to abound. We see this, verse 5. And this isn't just about doubts. There's a difference between unbelief and doubts. Unbelief is a conscious choice to reject the existence of God, to say he's not real and then live according to your own ways. We see then this is rebellion in verse 6 and 11, going against the very things that God has said. Judah's saying, God has spoken one thing and then urging you to do another. And we see that that begins to happen when Jesus is no longer Lord. Because once we feel like we're no longer under the view of God or the lordship of Jesus, our values, all of those things begin to change. They begin to move. And so we see it as a consequence of a denial of Jesus Christ as Lord. We see it in verse 7 that another consequence of this is sexual immorality. Distorting a biblical view on what the Bible has to teach about sex. And we're seeking to distort this. To say something contrary to what had been taught by Jesus and then by the apostles of what God's view of sex was. We see that selfishness is present. Here in verse 12, Jude references love feasts. And this was a term that was used for a meal eaten by the Christians in the early church. It's designed to build one another up in the faith. They would break bread, they would have food. It would often be a place of communion where they would break bread together. It's a little bit like a life group. That's how I would see it. And what he's saying, that they would come to these spaces intent on causing harm or having their own gain. Oh, Now, please, do not feel condemned if you show up for a free meal. That's not what it's talking about here. Okay, if you're really excited mostly about the food when you go to a life group meal, it's okay. Maybe it's not. The Lord needs to change me on that. The final thing that I mentioned, and actually, verse 16 talks about a lot more than this, but it's discontentment begins to abound. They're not happy with the way that things are. They constantly grumble instead of seeking reconciliation and looking to find fault. Another mark it talks about here in verse 16 is flattery, seeking to gain things by saying things that are nice, but actually it's not about the person. It's not about loving a person. It's about seeking to gain their own advantage. And this is not God's way. Did anyone else know that? This is not God's way. These are not God's way. And the reason that I put these things up is not that we might all leave here feeling like we are these God- godless people who are perverting grace. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, but I want to help us understand here that there is a way that God has designed when Jesus is Lord and we have a correct view of grace. And these things, they are not marks of a life of a follower of Jesus. Now, we might struggle with all of these things. Listen, I've been getting convicted this week and studying this. I was, I was getting sick of Jude. I was like, leave me alone, Jude. I've had enough. I know that I can be discontent. I know that I can be selfish. I know that I love food too much. 
And in this moment, I don't want us to feel condemned in this. Condemnation is not what the Lord or the Spirit of God brings. But if there is a conviction in these areas, then I implore us that God's way is that we would be free. That we would be free to run and live our lives free of these things. Amen? But that can be a challenge. It can be difficult. So we see this. And in the beginning of Jude's letter, he told his recipients he wanted them to contend for the faith, but he didn't detail how. He told them why, because all of this is going on, and there's false teachers saying that this is the way to go. But I'm like, Jude, we've read all of this. This is heavy. What are we going to do about it? And we get to verse 20. It's going to come on the screens behind me. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So what did they and we need to know in a world that is full of deception and lies, teaching about God and other things that are contrary to his word, what is our hope to not be deceived and led astray? What is our protection and our confidence? The imperative or primary command in these verses is simply keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The other three clauses or phrases is easier to see in the original language in verses 20 and 21 are Jude's instructions on how believers can keep themselves in the love of God. This is why today my title is Living Loved, a biblical way to contend for your faith because Jude says in the face of all of this, the answer is not just fight harder. The answer is, isn't have all of the best answers The answer is to live in the love of your Father in heaven. How powerful is that? Jude here helps us understand that if we can be people who live in the love of God, who walk in this love, we will be ones who are not led astray. We'll be ones that are living shaped by this love. And I love that thought. Because when we live loved, we not only contend for our faith, but Jude helps us understand in snatching others from the fire that we contend for the faith of others. That we begin to love others in the way that he has desired for us to do so. We start to love more like the Lord has commanded. Now what's really important here is it says keep yourselves in the love of God. That means the love of God is already there, present. Jude is not saying earn the love of God, make yourself lovable to God, or make yourselves ones who who have God's love simply by earning it. And he's saying keep yourselves there. God loves you, make sure you know it. Keep yourselves in his love. I see it like the sun. And the sun shines and brings light and it brings life. And if you get close enough, it burns things away. See it like God's holiness. But Jude here is saying Live in the light. Don't live in the shadow. God's love is for you. Think of how he starts the letter. He says, to those who are called and beloved of God the Father. He's already laid the ground for them that the people he's speaking to are loved by God. And some of us, we can miss it. We think that when it comes to God or we hear a preach like this, we think, I am loved because I do. I am loved because I serve. I'm loved because I go to church. 
I am loved because, because, and God would come and say, you are loved, full stop. You are loved. And that is the beauty of the gospel. The power of our incredible savior who came to seek and save us. We are loved. 1 John 4.10 says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look to Jesus. Love Jesus. Experience the love that the Father has for you in and through Jesus Christ. When I was studying out in Singapore, I had a, a module in pastoral counseling. We had an incredible pastor uh, who was leading that course. And I remember one of the discussion questions he asked us is, what does it mean to love God? And you know, we're all theology students. We're going for it, giving all our answers and our scriptural references. And I remember at the end of it, he says, for me, to love God is to let God love me. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? And I think there is lots to this scripturally. The Bible helps us understand of what it means to, lo to love God tangibly. But I think this is an incredibly powerful place to start. That to love God with everything you've got, you've got to let him love you. You've got to let him love you. To receive the mercy and forgiveness. The Bible helps us understand that those that have been forgiven much, love much. That means we have to receive the forgiveness of our God first. To embrace the beauty of the gospel and the power of the cross. I was struggling to get up just before because in that moment the Lord was reminding me that he saved me. The Lord had wrecked me again because I remember and I know and for those that know our story, he ransomed us as a family. He pulled us from the fire. He lifted us from the miry clay and set our feet on a rock and forever I will be eternally thankful because I know that he is Savior. He is Savior and he is Lord. He doesn't just tell us to live in God's love. He gives us three ways, really practically, and I'm going to fly through these, but I want us, if we're taking notes, I want us to consider what, Lord, would you have me do to make sure that I remain in your love this week. Firstly, he says, build your faith. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith. He wants them to cling to the faith and contend for it. But if we're going to fight, then we need to build ourselves up in trusting who Jesus is and what he has done. But there's also some truths. This is talking about some truths about God and about Jesus and humanity and the church and the world, which are essential to the life of a follower of Jesus. And if they are lost or distorted, then the result will be not merely some misinformation. The result will be that we will stray from the true faith. And so to build ourselves up, I want to simply say to you, hold his truth in high regard. Have this word and hide it in your heart. If we want to live loved, if we want to be living loved, then we need to know the true God. We need to know what he says about us. This isn't to just grow in information, it's to be transformed by his truth. 
one of the ways that we can actually grow in our faith is to respond to his word, is to obey what God has said. And I remember I've been on a journey with this, just step by step learning to grow in my faith. I remember one of the big decisions that I, I made was when I was a teenager, I'd done DV for two years and it was on Friday nights. And I remember I really felt the Lord compelling me to serve on youth team. Even though I was still under 18, I just knew. I knew that I needed to be obedient to Jesus. And my DV, they were going to the Netherlands. They were going to go and cycle there. And I was going to miss out. I was gutted. But actually, me taking a step of faith was me building on the confession I'd made when I said, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm putting my trust in you. And this was another action to say, Jesus, I trust you. Getting on the Freedom in Christ course was one of the most significant things that I did in the last five or six years. As an 18-year-old seeking to get free, to live in the freedom that he's won from me. I, I looked at that list and it, it comes about time and time again in the scriptures of what God's standards is. And I said, I don't want this for my life. God, I want to live in the freedom that you've won for me. Does anyone else want to live in the freedom he's won for you? And so I made a decision, I'm going to grow in my faith. And so I got on a course, and I got to know the word, and I was, there was accountability, and I got to talk to people. John, who's just walked in the back of the room, was helping run the course. Everyone give John a clap. What a legend. But John was my accountability partner. And at that time in my life, pornography was a massive struggle. It was a real challenge in my life. But I determined that this is not what freedom looks like. And so I said, God, I'm going to trust you enough not to just bring this to you, but I'm going to walk in your ways. And you say that confession is important. You say that accountability is important, that walking as brothers and sisters. So I'm going to trust you enough to trust your ways. You see, growing in faith, it looks like something. It's practical. It's going to take your effort. Grow in your faith. I could go through, I've got a whole list of things, step by step by step. Let me encourage you, take that next step, whatever that looks like for you. You might feel like you're already there. Maybe you feel like you've just, you've grown all there is in the Christian faith. That never happens. One day you'll see him and you'll be fully like him. At the moment, you're not. And that's okay, but if we're going to live loved, then we need to keep building our faith. We keep in the love of God by building our faith, and secondly, by praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. This is what Jude says. And praying in the Spirit, as Pentecostals, we might immediately jump to think about praying in tongues. And I'm going to mention that in a moment. But praying in the Spirit is praying according to the Spirit's leading. It is praying things for things that the Spirit leads us to pray for. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, you are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit resides within you. So when you pray, the Spirit can lead you in prayer. So simply, Jude is exhorting us to pray. Let's be a praying church. If you struggle to pray, some of the best things I ever did was get around praying people. Auntie Jack, Uncle Mary, they helped shape my prayer life. Auntie Jack, Uncle Mary, I am so sorry. 
Jude didn't mention it, but that distorted something. Uncle Jack and Auntie Mary, forgive me. I was saying good things about you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm forgiven. See, they're a prayerful people. But they helped shape my prayer life. Countless others in this room. People further along in the faith than me. And why? Because I got around them. We got prayer and fasting this week. Get along. Be in the mix. Why? Not just because it's great to put on an event, but because if we want to live love, then we need to be in communion with the Father. And how do we do that? We do it by talking to him. We do that by praying. I'm going to invite the band up as I come to a close. For some of us today, when I think about praying in the spirit, of course, for me, I cannot neglect praying in tongues. The Bible gives us tongues as a prayer language. We see that the Lord gives us tongues as a prayer language. I'm messing everything up now. (laughs) Some verses are going to come on the screen from Corinthians. Just briefly to talk about tongues, just to consider this. For some in the room who might not be praying in tongues, I believe this is a gift for you, a prayer language that the Lord gives. Paul writes this, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. In this context, he's talking about praying in tongues, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. The Apostle Paul, incredible man of God, this was important to his life. He said it in the same book that he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Praying in the Spirit of God, praying in tongues, it activates something incredible. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. When you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up. It was a game changer for me when I was filled with the Spirit as a teenager. Changed my life. And today the prayer team will be at the front. And if you need to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you have a desire to be praying in tongues, then come. Come and be prayed for. You've got faith to believe that you will be filled. I spoke to someone last Sunday, a member of this church, many will know, and the week before they were filled with the Spirit in their house. They called out to God and they'd been taking some significant spiritual steps and they'd been taking some steps into territory that was hard and challenging and they were feeling a weight of darkness around them. And they asked God, they asked God for his Holy Spirit. And they began praying in tongues in their home. And they talked to me about darkness being lifted and being spiritually strengthened. I love that. It's so powerful. And I I asked them, I wrote this down from my WhatsApp. I asked them if there was anything important to add. They said, just ask God to be filled with the Spirit. It took me long enough to realize, but in my experience, you have to position yourself to receive it. It doesn't just happen. Position yourself to receive church. To live loved, we need to build our faith. We need to be praying. And the final thing as I come to a close is that we remember our eternal hope. We remember our eternal hope because in the midst of all of this life's trial and challenge, remember that Jesus is coming back. Remember that he is coming to judge the living and the dead and what awaits you as a follower of Jesus on the day of judgment is mercy. This whole 
book, so much of it was talking about the condemnation and destruction of ungodly people, a specific people. But also, this applies to those that live their lives outside of Christ. But for those that live their lives, having put their trust in Jesus Christ, what awaits you on judgment day is mercy. Mercy in the fullness that we've never known before. You will see Jesus and be like him. You will be rewarded with life and joy. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. Your body will be made new. You'll be welcomed into the presence of your king. Remember that this here on earth, this this isn't it. This isn't all there is to the story that a great hope awaits you that you are called to take hold of the eternal life to which God has called you. And so if we want to live loved, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that he will return and he will reward his servants. As we remember his mercy to come, I want us to remember his grace and his mercy right now. And that's exactly with what Jude finishes. I'm going to invite us to stand as we close. And Jude prays this. He says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And as you fight, church to live loved let me tell you you are loved right now in this moment and the king of heaven he fights for you he loves you with an everlasting love the book of Jude it starts with you are called you are beloved of God the father and you are kept for Christ Jesus and while we fight it is only because he keeps us we contend because he contends for us and the battle has already been won and so as we come today and we consider what is my part lord remember the part that he has already played remember his goodness and his faithfulness and his majesty let's pray church father thank you for your word today jesus we look to you and thank you that we can live loved because of what you've demonstrated for us on the cross. Thank you that we are loved more than we ever know. And I pray the prayer of Paul that we would grasp how wide and high and deep your love is for us, oh God, that we might be a people because we live loved, will stand for our faith, that we will not be led astray by lies. We will not be living in falsehood, but Lord, we will stand in all that you have for us. So Lord, as we come to worship, we remember your mercy right now in this moment that has set us free. In Jesus' precious name, amen.